Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome along to the latest Forza Italian football podcast. I'm your host, Connor Clancy, back again, back in the run of things. And I have a panel with me again this week, but it's a different panel to that of last week. Joining me again for I don't know how many times in a row is Vito Doria. Vito, welcome along. Thanks, Connor. Yeah, really glad to be here. And of course, you know, once again, another exciting round of Serie A. So looking forward to the chat. Yeah, absolutely. It was a big round, really. And um, also here to talk us through that round of fixtures, round nine, I think it was, is Luca Gumby. Luca, it's good to have you here again. Yeah, thank you. Glad to, glad to be here. As Peter said, it was a, a good round in Italian football. And then it all seems to be coming thick and fast at the moment. And everything seems to be going quite nicely in the season. And there's lots to discuss. Absolutely. I completely forgot this midweek round of games was coming up and then I was watching the Atalanta game or something and I heard the midweek round advertised and I was shocked because it's getting difficult to keep up with it all at the moment. But speaking of things that were difficult to keep up with, I think there's only one place to start this weekend and it wasn't with the biggest game. It was, we're going to go to Friuli and Udinese to Juventus. Six in the end, um, despite me having my match report written and ready to submit when it was 4-2 in the last minute, which it's always nice when you get a couple of goals laid on that don't ruin the report. But anyway, Luca, we'll go to you first because you haven't been here all that often this season. But it's it's hard to even begin to analyse games like this because it was just complete chaos. What did you make of the game? Well, yeah, it's, it's just pretty much chaotic. You can't say that any style or anything's prevailed over anything else and it was certainly a game where Juve looked to be in difficulty going behind quite early on Mandzukic getting sent off midway through the first half for, like, it was probably not a terrible offence but it was a bit stupid on his part but then it was just a bizarre game where Lazio, um, Juve sorry, just really pulled through coming through in the second half they Rugani played well I think he was sort of seen as a performance from him where he really stepped up this this year, he's always had a lot of expected of him in. It's not always come there. Uh, Kadira just pulling through, coming out with all those goals. And then I think in the end with those late goals, just kind of case that Udinese lost their heads, having played so much of the game of man up and not been able to capitalise. But it was just a completely bizarre game where you think, oh, they, they're going to be in trouble for Juventus. And then they just they just won. And they somehow won by a four-goal margin against 10 men. It was bizarre. And, uh, kudos to them for being able to do that when it was so um so difficult yeah Vito this is exactly why Juventus keep keep winning Serie A isn't it well absolutely it's these type of games that you'd think in most cases the 11 men would triumph over the 10 men but it was a game where Juventus really showed the quality against Udinese even with Mario Mandzukic being sent off 
they surprisingly look like a better team in the second half. Uh, I do want to continue with uh, Lucas' mentioning of uh, Daniele Rugani because he made an error for the first Udinese goal when he tried to pass to Milan Pjanic and then Sepko Fofana intercepted the ball before Stipe Peric uh, got the opener. But he redeemed himself in the second half by scoring with a header to make it 3-2 and he was involved with the fourth goal as his header went across the penalty area before Sami Kadira volleyed the ball home. So I'm really glad that Rugani is getting a chance and it shows that, you know, with the modern defenders around, uh, they can contribute offensively, not just to being uh, pure defenders. One thing I thought about the Rugani performance was that he seems to have really embodied what Juventus are traditionally about because... Like you said, he had that early setback, but he didn't let it get to him. And if anything, it was the catalyst for his performance to improve. And from then on, he was brilliant. So while we're on Rugani, I hadn't planned on this, but Luca, do you think it's time that he becomes the first choice partner for Giorgio Chiellini? Yeah, I think it's, it's a point that's been muted for a while because obviously Juve had that BBC backline for so long and it was probably the best events around, so there's not much space for him. But it was always a defence which was ageing. And then the main star of it, Benucci's gone and he's had his difficulties elsewhere. So you think, yeah, it's up to, definitely up to Lugani now to, to step up and shine because he, he sort of, he, he's always been quite solid whenever he's gotten a chance, but he's never really been the the main man at Juve. And I think with just kind of the, the situation in the club where they've kind of had it kind of, They've just been so consistent and the team's always been very similar when this is kind of the team, this may be the year when they struggle a bit, but even if they're struggling, it kind of also gives them a chance to rejuvenate the team. And I think he, he certainly showed it again, um, well, he certainly showed it in Mezzo that it can be counted on when it's all going against him. He's made a mistake, but then he's, he's recovered. And so he's, he's certainly just got the kind of mental character to, to live up to um, playing at such a, a big club with pressure, and I think it's always kind of he's always going to have to have had his chance, and it might as well be now because they've not got that much depth elsewhere at the back. I mean, the obvious story from this game was that Sammy Kadira scored a hat trick, but if you'll forgive me, I'm not really too interested in talking about Kadira because I mean, a midfielder scoring a hat trick in a game where his side is are down to 10 and kind of speaks for itself. One thing that really stood out for me was Gonzalo Higuain's performance. Um, I know he didn't score, which is usually bread and butter for him as he just scores goals, but I thought he was excellent. And it got me thinking that with Pella Dybala looking like he's really taking his performances to another level this season. Vito, I'll send this one to you. Do you think that Gonzalo Higuain has the capabilities because of his experience, because of where he's played in the past, and... I suppose the fact that he's Argentine as well could help. Do you think he has the capability of taking a step back in terms of scoring goals this season, accepting that Dybala is the main man in attack and just kind of being there as a helping hand to him more than anything else? On the basis of what I saw in the Udinese game, I think it is a possibility, but I would like to see more consistency from Higuain in this aspect. Judging from what we did see on the weekend, though, I did like that Higuain was able to drop back and help the defence, and especially when Juve went down to 10 men. And he was also chasing and pressing as well, which are things that you don't see from Higuain too often. So if Allegri has ingrained that into his game or Higuain has been smart enough to acknowledge the circumstances that Juve were under after Mandzukic was sent off, I think uh, that's very good for a player like Higuain. When he was at Napoli, Sarri's system suited him and he could score freely, but uh, given the circumstances that Higuain's been under recently, and of course, as you mentioned, Dybala had a sensational start to the season, I think he's got to try and do the team things and perform these tactical roles so he can keep his spot in the team and also be a vital contributor because... Um, in the modern game, there's more to just scoring goals for strikers. And the same with the defending, as I mentioned with the game, there's more to it than just defending. So, yeah, it works both ways now. 
Yeah, it's definitely a good point to raise. I suppose Juventus beating Udinese isn't all that shocking. I know the circumstances dictate that it is a bit more of a surprise than it otherwise would be. But we're going to move on now to the the weekend's biggest game, which was definitely at the Stadio San Paolo, where Napoli and Inter kind of cancelled each other out, really. And it was a nil-nil draw there. On the surface of it, it probably looks like a better result for Inter than it does Napoli. But when you consider that Napoli played Manchester City midweek and their players were obviously going to be a bit fatigued from that, especially the way City have been playing this season. Who do you think will be happier with this result, Luca? Yeah, don't agree with what you said. It would be into, I think they were set, set up in a certain way to try and get a point and, and they managed it. I thought it was a, a good game. It was a, an entertaining game. I mean, it was goalless. Like obviously, people like to see goals and whenever there's a high-scoring game in Serie A, you kind of see the people who follow it are quite happy because it kind of... Um, Cost off, you know, misconceptions about the league. But I thought that was just two teams playing very well, and that was why there were no goals. There were two defences of form. Handanovic played very well, and yeah, it was. Just, I think Inter should be proud of how they played. They 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 didn't just sit back though and not attempt to score at all. They did. They did look to play on the break, and um, they they all did their did their bit. And Icardi was dropping back. Normally, you just expect him to sit up in the box trying to get um, get touches on goal and shoot on goal from in the penalty box he doesn't tend to contribute much beyond that but in that game he did he was around everywhere and uh, it was, I just thought it was a very quite interesting game it was genuinely both teams playing well and that was why no one scored because no one made any mistakes and perhaps into the end could have hoped to sneak it when Napoli started looking like they were tiring after playing in Europe midweek but in the end the status quo is preserved and I think they can both be, be happy at not um, remaining unbeaten so far this season yeah, Luca, I'll stick with you. I saw this described on Twitter quite inaccurately, for me anyway, as Luciano Spalletti getting one over on Maurizio Sarri. I didn't see it as that at all, because you'd imagine Napoli won't be too displeased with a point against Inter. No, he was, he was a bit feisty after as well, Spalletti was speaking, speaking to the TV. He was sort of, I think someone has sort of given him a, a compliment, but he sort of is a, a bit of a backhanded compliment in that kind of suggestion that he'd sort of got one over Spalletti by just, um, over Sarri, so by just sort of ruining the game somehow and not really attempting to get the points. But it wasn't, it wasn't like that. I think it was just two teams who did what they were asked to do and everyone performed well. And that, that just meant that neither team could take it. I think... He probably had a, a few slightly better chances and Handanovic was decisive in those instances. But I don't think it was kind of the case that sort of this kind of pragmatic, negative Spalletti, the, the minister of the defence, as he was called by Sarri, just turned up to, to completely kill the game and to, to try and hit Napoli on the break. They did try and attack when it was on and it didn't work, but... They, they did both give it a go and that just led to a, a fair draw where neither team really made any mistakes which just allowed for a goal. Yeah, agreed. Vito, all things considered, Napoli should be happy with the point, shouldn't they? As we said, they played in Champions League. Inter aren't exactly an easy opposition at the moment and they're still top, most importantly. So it's a good result for everyone. A point is still better than a loss, obviously, but if I was Napoli, considering how they have dominated Serie A this season, it would still feel like a loss. What I do admire about Sarri is that he stuck to his guns, he stuck to his principles, and they tried to win the game, whereas with Inter, um, you can uh, you can tell that with uh, Spalletti, it does look like he was playing a more conservative style of football and that they were playing more just to stop Napoli from playing a game than for them to try and implement their own style. So I think Inter could have got some goals on the counter-attack, but really uh, there were probably even a few moments that uh, Napoli could have got a few more shots on target despite the ones that they were landing on target were being saved by Samir Handanovic, who had a sensational game. Yeah, I'll stick with you. Do you think that, um, oh, what was I going to ask? Yeah, will, will Napoli be concerned that they couldn't break this inside down, or is it just one of those that 
you, every once in a while, you just kind of have to hold your hands up and say, okay, it's just one of those nights. It's not happening for us. Yeah, I think with a style like that, you're going to get those type of games where you will um, try and play your game, try to attack the opposition, but regardless of what you do, um, the defence is going to be solid. They're going to be intercepting and tackling uh, at a great rate. And, of course, when you have a goalkeeper like Hamdanovic to face, he's going to make lots of incredible saves. So... They're just those games that it doesn't matter what tactics you apply or what your philosophy is, you're going to have those odd games where you're going to be nullified. Uh, but, you know, I just hope Sadi doesn't become disheartened by it. And I don't reckon he will because he usually tries to attack the opposition regardless. He'll, he's not the type of coach that would just sit back even if he faces supposedly better opponents. Yeah, you mentioned that everyone's going to be tackling and pressing a bit more than usual. Nicholas Carroll is currently whispering in my ear that Inter actually made 27 tackles in that game, which is just under 20% of their season total, which kind of shows just how hard they did work. They were pressing higher. They were really hassling Napoli. But Luca, where are we going? If I was thinking about this at the weekend because someone said something. It was more of a throwaway comment than anything else about with Napoli's squad, they should be really disappointed not to beat Inter. But given all that Inter have spent in recent seasons, and they do have some good players there, do you think if you were to just list their squad, player by player, man for man, Inter's squad might actually be a little bit stronger than Napoli's? Um, I don't know. It's, it's quite an intriguing one because... They are sort of the polar opposites. Where when you think of when you think of Napoli, you think of sort of Mertens and Insigne and Calhoun and that kind of attacking winger type player and all that kind of interchange. Whereas Inter don't really have that. It's just sort of Icardi, who's a top class striker, and he's probably a better and out and out striker than what Napoli can provide. But he just he doesn't really do much else. Whereas they've got more Candreva who. Time tends to get quite a lot of stick in kind of the smaller games where you can't really dominate an opponent, really take a, a match by the scrap of the neck. But again, in big games, you can really put a shift in and contribute in multiple phases of flow. So it's quite hard to say. I think, like, I think, I don't know, I think Napoli are, are kind of strong with just that kind of attacking fluidity where they can sort of really control a game and just destroy an opponent, blow away with players like Hamshik. I, I don't think Inter can do that, but I think. In the game like that, perhaps, yeah, into the, that defence, that screen near Miranda defensive partnership and Hamdanovic in goal is better than what Napoli have. They are kind of, you know, ideally you just sort of stick into back, uh, back line and goalkeeper on Napoli I and mean, you've got some sort of freakishly good team, but it wouldn't really work like that. But I think overall, I'd probably say Napoli have a slightly better squad. And although I think they've also both developed as teams in a similar way in that this season, they haven't really changed very much. Obviously, Inter have a new manager in Spalletti, but they didn't make all the big signings that someone like Milan did. It's, quite, it's kind of organic. It's got a bit of chemistry now, and that's kind of why it's coming together. But I think overall, Napoli, they have a bit more flair. They have a bit more skill. I think they're slightly ahead of Inter, more of a well-drilled unit. Another stat being fed to me at the moment is one that might be interesting. It might not be. It's just... Feel free to shut me down if it's not, but there's only one team in Serie A who haven't conceded a goal yet in the last 15 minutes of games. And it's not Napoli or Inter, it's Juventus, as you might expect, but Napoli and Inter have only conceded two. So is this a sign that they are kind of, they're finally getting to that level where I know we've all said they they will probably win the Scudetto this year. They're definitely capable of it. But they're finally at that level now where they're not, switching off at the back their defense isn't as weak as in previous seasons and they're kind of just a more complete team throughout from back to front look i'll stick with you because we're gonna go to veto for the next game so is that is that napoli that they've got kind of a bit more of a, a winning yeah, well, edge it applies to both so take your pick into our napoli yeah so i suppose with napoli You've got well, you've got Koulibaly at the back, who's sort of been kind of 
regarded as a prospect for when he first joined he perhaps had a few mistakes in him but that seems to have come out of his game yeah I I suppose against against even against Internapoli did kind of realise they were tiring at the end so they perhaps weren't naive in trying to push forwards to get a dramatic late win and they kind of realised that a point would be would be good enough and I think I think with Inter they're just kind of defensively strong enough that it's not necessarily so much of a mental thing for them they're, they're just kind of defensively strong for the full 90 minutes it's not kind of that their issue is going to be them bottling games if, if you can put it that way I think they're kind of just rigid enough that they they don't need to get nervous at the end they, they, they're okay as it is yeah, the the um, the live chat is kind of eating up at the moment. Jacks are probably our most committed follower of this podcast. Stephen, you're there as well. Keep the questions coming, guys. I'm enjoying them. And Nick, it's good to see you are still with us in some way there. Vito, I said I'd come to you for the next game, and that game is Torino Roma, which uh, Roma won one nil. Not really a surprise. I think the biggest surprise for me here was that it was 1-0 and that these two teams weren't involved in something like a 4-3 game because we've seen Torino over the last 12, 13 months. Roma, I mean, their Champions League game kind of epitomized them. They're, they can be exciting going forward, but not all that good at the back. Um, but Kolarov got another big goal for them. Do you think he has the ability to immediately become one of the leaders in that team? I mean, he, he's won the Premier League before at Manchester City. He's kind of been around the block. He knows what he's doing. And he's in a Roma team, especially after losing Francesco Totti. They're kind of lacking in players that'll just grab the others and say, right, we're going to go win this game. Is Kolarov capable of doing that? He's that type of player, and especially being over 30, I think he can be that leader. He's a, he's a tough player, and he also has previous Serie A experience, having played for... Lazio, Roma's rivals, so I believe he can be that type of guy. One of Kolarov's greatest attributes is his free-kick-taking ability. So, once again, he showed, with scoring the winning goal against Torino, that he can still whip them in. And after the game, I read a comment saying that uh, Sinisa Mihailovic, who's coaching Torino now, was one of his heroes and one of his inspirations. So, it's a bit of an interesting twist there. Um, but, you know, a fellow Serbian and also a proven free kick taken Serie A in the past. So a good motto to follow. And uh, he even showed in front of his idol that he can uh, do it pretty well himself. Yeah, Eusebio Di Francesco. We, we spoke about him quite a lot. Me and Nick did a video about him throughout the summer. Um, we've spoken about him in the early weeks of the season. Basically, we were a bit worried that a, he might not be. He might not get off to the best start at Roma, and B, he might not be given the time to recover from that start. But he's proving everyone who doubted him wrong at the moment. And do you think this can continue, or I don't know, will Roma fall away as the season goes on? Vito, this is yours as well. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. 
So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. The way things have been panning out so far, Roma are currently fifth on the Serie A table, but of course, being just nine rounds in, uh, it's a very close uh, battle for the Scudetto as well as the Champions League spots. And based on what I've seen so far, I still think Roma are the type of team that can stay in that hunt for a Champions League spot. Uh, I've mentioned it on a few of the previous podcasts that uh, one of the main issues with Roma is they probably don't score enough in Serie A, but at least the chances are there. If they work on the shooting accuracy, uh, the goals will come in as illustrated in that 3 all draw against the Chelsea in the midweek game. So I think uh, Di Francesco, he, he looks like the right man in charge and I don't think uh, the Romanisti or the Roma club directors have much to worry about at the moment. I'm sure they feel that Di Francesco is the right man in charge and the right man to um, guide this squad. OK, Luca, I'll bring you back in for this. It's not much specific, but... Another interesting statistic from, well, not the weekend, from the season so far, is 42% of Roma's attacks have been down the left, uh, 25% through the middle and 32% from the right, which kind of shows that they aren't so reliant on one creative position anymore, one player, as was kind of the case last season with Mohamed Salah. Um, Al-Sharawi has kind of done quite well. Perotti has always been quite consistent for them and Kolarov is clearly having an impact down the left there. Do you think that in some sort of adverse way, selling Mo Salah is kind of helping bring out the best in the other players, or is that too big a leap to make? Uh, I suppose maybe it's a, a bit of an exaggeration to say that they're just overperforming or performing to their best now that they're out of Salah's Shadow, but it was kind of the thing with Roma that, that obviously they had Jekko who, who scored goals, but still get criticised, even though he's doing well now. But that they they had quite a lot of sort of different players, but they they didn't really seem to always click. They always seem to sort of over rely on one in a way. But I think I think they do certainly have enough kind of attacking talent in that in that those positions against um, Torino as well. It wasn't necessarily the most attacking side put out by Di Francesco is quite pragmatic in a way. I think you could essentially say that he had four central midfielders because it was De Rossi, Stutman, Pellegrini, and uh, I think Nyan Golan was kind of in a sort of wider role. So I think they do have the, the personnel there to, to really kick on. I think the thing that I'm interested with for Roma's attack now is how that they can integrate Schick now that he should be fit because he's a player that I, I really do enjoy. And I think he's got that kind of uh, versatility that he can either play up front with Jekko. He's probably a bit more technical than Jekko. Jekko could sort of be the one who kind of pins the centre-backs back while Schick sort of comes in from a deeper role. He can shoot from distance. He can dribble. On the, he can get past people on the breaks. So I think Schick, if he, if he really lives up to his potential at Roma, could be a player who um, really could make a, a difference because they've got all these sort of good players in Barotti who... Sort of very, very solid, very good in tap. They're not perhaps players that are going to get people out of their seats, but I think Schick, when he's really, really on form, could be that player and he could be that kind of real star man in attack behind Jekka. Definitely. Um, the, the, Jekka isn't the only star man in attack in the city of Rome because across the city, well, the other end of the Stadio Olimpico, is Ciro Immobile. And, Vito, he was at it again. He, he scored two against Cagliari and they won, Lazio that is, won 3-0. Should we bother singing the praises of Immobile again this week or will we leave that for another time? I think the statistics 
speak for themselves. He's now got 13 goals in nine rounds of Serie A action. So if you can average more than a goal a game in Serie A, you must be doing very well. And I also believe that he'll be more believed. You know, after previous seasons where he had uh, left Torino and had trouble outside of Italy, it looks like he's back to really redeeming himself and proving that he's a, a top striker. And I believe that, uh, you know, aside from us, uh, I think more people should be praising him. I'd agree with that. Um, our very own Kev P, who's currently having a great time in New York, wrote a piece about Immobile and how it is time for people around Europe and wherever to start taking him seriously because he's he is genuinely a good striker now. And that was a few weeks back. So I might dig that out and tweet it out on my account or the at Serie IFFC account maybe. But one thing that's really interesting about Lazio and it kind of shows Immobile's importance and the other guys playing up top is that they rank 10th in the number of total shots taken this season. But in terms of shots on target, they're third. So that shows that they might not create as many as other teams, but when they do, they really make them count, which obviously is really important that Immobile is playing a huge part in that. But another player who we haven't really spoken about this season, Luka, is Sergei Milinkovic-Savic. And he has just been a joy to watch this year. He's a strange kind of player that, I, I guess, who could we compare him to? He's brilliantly physical, strong, big, powerful but he's also, when he has the ball at his feet, he is wonderful to watch. He can pick a pass, he can beat a player, he can pull off a trick. How important is he to this Lazio team? And I guess, why is he being overlooked when people talk about how good they are? Uh, yeah, he's, he's, he, I think he established stuff last year as a brilliant player. I think everyone in Italy has him in their fantasy football teams because he always chips in with you heavy goals. So I, I don't know if you're looking for someone compared to perhaps Yael Torre, and he's a sort of very big physical player, but he's also technically gifted. I mean, he's just completely capable in everything he does as an all-round player. He's, I think perhaps some of the reason why he's overlooked is that for some bizarre reason, which must be to do with politics, is that he never gets in his national team. He's never been capped by Serbia. And when you look at it, you think he's probably their most talented player. But he, he's just such a, a good player in that Lazio team where he's just really dominant in midfield and he can do everything. And I suppose another player in that Lazio side as well who's also uh, really been helping him over there is Luis Alberto, so he deserves some credit. But I think Milinkovic-Savic is just, I mean, considering how young he is, and he just looks so so good at everything he does. And you you wouldn't want to play against him because he can just sort of bully you physically, get past, and then when he's got the ball at his feet, he, he doesn't really make many mistakes. Yeah, I suppose... It came to my mind when you were talking there. He's kind of a bit like Paul Pogba, isn't he? And probably the closest thing in Syria to Pogba since Pogba left. I can't think of many others who combine that physical, just power and dominance, and also being able to do the creative and the more aesthetically pleasing bits. But Cagliari on the other end, I suppose. No point in them getting too disheartened about a 3-0 loss away to Lazio because there are teams who will go there and suffer worse defeats. But we haven't spoken about them too much this season. Um, I kind of predicted them to finish mid-table. Vito, what do you think they should be aiming for this season? Because with the way the teams Benevento and Hellas Verona have started, they shouldn't be in too much bother in terms of fighting a relegation battle, should they? I do expect Cagliari to survive relegation, but I reckon now that being in the mid-table positions would be a big stretch for Cagliari. Massimo Rastelli was the first coach sacked this season in Serie A, and they've brought back Diego Lopez, who was sacked three years ago by Cagliari, so I found that very surprising. Rastelli played a far more attacking style than Lopez, but I suppose with the lack of defensive stability, that was going to eventually cost him. My concern is that they brought back Lopez, and I think that's a bad move because although he's conservative, but uh, I don't think he really adds much as a coach. So I don't really believe that Cagliari are going to do much with him. So they should just survive relegation and really... um, I think that that's all there is to it. I can't expect... Lopez to be a long-term solution or even develop a great coaching career out of it because 
the way Serie A is going now, there are a lot of coaches who have a distinctive style of play. So being a motivator or just being a guy who parks the bus, I don't think that's going to get you very far in the Serie A of today. No, the next game will be a big one though as well. They've, they've been on a, a poor run. They played some tough teams, but they also lost to Javon Sassuolo. But next game for them is Benevento again with a new, newly appointed Deserbi on the bench. And that'll be a game they certainly have to win because they can't really kick and place and they are at the moment right in the mix of that relegation battle. They don't have the sort of talismans of four years like Borriello. So there will be... They're not actually in the relegations, are they? Who? Uh, Calio? No, I was talking about Brian. I'm just trying to wind you up. <laughs> um, yeah, Benevento should be an easy win for them, though. Um, as, New manager, uh, though. You never know. They already got a minus 20 goal difference and no goal and no points after nine games. I think they're they're in a bit of trouble this season. I think it's fair to say. Um, I suppose we can't really go on for too much longer without talking about one of the stories of Serie A this year. But I think it's safe to say that we all thought they were going to be one of the stories of Serie A this year, but maybe not for being quite as bad as they have been. AC Milan, guys, um, it's just not happening for them. Leonardo Benucci, on the night that he was named in the FIFA Pro 11 for the best team of the of 2017, he he had a shocker, didn't he, Vito? What was he thinking getting sent off? Well, I don't know what was uh, running through Leonardo Bonucci's mind, but considering the Alberta Genoa player, I wouldn't blame him. One thing. <laughs> I saw you smirking there, and I was wondering where <laughs> this was going. <laughs> Yeah. No, but with all seriousness, regardless of who you are, um, you shouldn't really be elbowing anyone. I mean, that's definitely a red card, and look, Bonucci can't complain about that um, in any circumstance, regardless of who you are. An elbow is an elbow, so a deserved straight red for him, and and that's very cool considering that he's the captain of the team now, and he should really be a lot smarter than that, too. So... It'd be interesting to see how Milan go in the next couple of games with Adam. Yeah, I'm just I'm just looking through the running order that I sent you guys earlier. And it's just what is it like Montella, when will they settle? What's wrong with them? And to be honest, I'm not bothered talking about Milan again this week because we have done them to death every week this season and it's it's pretty much the same things because it's just the same problems. People blame on Montella us kind of saying oh, maybe he needs a bit more time they have too many players but I don't know Luca have you any fresh thoughts to add before we move on from Milan because they're draining me this year to be honest well apparently Berlusconi's come out tonight and said that they've got some new financial problem that he's aware of so might be another subplot in the uh, the Rossoneri circus as it as it rolls on so, so Silvio's going to make uh, an emphatic comeback is he I don't know I, or just but either way, it's not going to really help stabilise them. I think it's just kind of, they've got all this pressure on them with all the money spent and they're struggling to deal with it. And they've got, as you said, too many players. It's hard to, to fit them all into a, a team and create a cohesive unit. Yeah, um, I'm happy to leave it at that on me along this week because no doubt we discussed them a lot last week and we will again next. But let's have a break from them. Luca, Serie B is good this year, as always. What's going on down there? Well, yeah, you keep seeing it sort of pop up now on a, a Twitter. It's like, oh, everyone should be watching Serie B at the moment. That's because at the moment you have nine points between top side Empoli and bottom side Cesena. It's all very, very close. I think in the the round of fixtures just gone, um, Avellino were the only team to pick up their consecutive second win. Otherwise, no team had got two wins going into that round of fixtures. It's just crazy. It's just every team sort of wins one or it loses one. It's all it's all over the place. And then you got Venezia as well going um in the automatic promotion place in second, but they lost their last game. The uh, the American backed Venezia, so I think quite a lot of people around the world have a little bit of an interest with them. They're sort of celebrity lawyer Rono, uh, Joe Tegapino. It's just lots of attacking sides, quite a lot of young Italian players, and it's always just kind of worth keeping an eye on. I think Vito had some stuff about the. Uh, 
the sort of attacking minded philosophy as well in uh, Serie B with some of the coaches you've got. I mean, you've still got Zayman at Pescara, so it's always kind of. Uh, yeah, Linko, before you continue, Vito, that was a good piece that went up during the week. Do you want to basically give the listeners, viewers, however people are consuming this, uh, the rundown and tell them where to go for that? Obviously, you can go to the Forza Italian Football website and read my article about the attacking coaches in City of B now. It is a fairly longish piece for uh, Forza Italian Football these days, but it does only give a brief explanation on the numerous attack-minded coaches in City of B. And I think because of the ones that I've mentioned, City of B is really worth watching this season. I mean, for all the old stereotypes out there about City Serie A, Serie B and Italian football in general being cautious and defensive. I mean, this season has really just blown them away. So, yeah, read the piece. I'm sure you'll enjoy it. And there were probably a few other coaches that deserved a mention, but unfortunately I couldn't fit them all in. So, um, yeah, keep an eye on it because you should forget about the championship, Bundesliga 2, Segunda Liga. The best second division in the world is Serie B. And the proof is in the pudding. Trust me, broaden your horizon, people. Don't worry about the old stereotypes that the old English pundits and so forth listen to and try to brag about. Get in touch with 2017. Serie B is where it's at. And also, for the Australian audience, Fabio Grosso, Lucas Neal's old mate, he is working wonders at Bari. They won 4-2 on the weekend. So maybe if Lucas Neal wants a job, I think he should speak to good old Fabio. Maybe they can kiss and make up. And I'm telling you, Fabio, he is going places. How has this happened? Right, Nicholas Carroll isn't even on, and we've had an Australian mention that. I'm not having this. Vito, if you do that again, you're off, right? That's, that's the end of you. I can only accept Australian references when Nick Carroll is here because you can see them coming from a mile away. But, Luca, we're going to look to go to a Venezia game, I think, aren't we? We'll maybe a couple of Serie B games in December, so hopefully it's still really close then. I th- I think it might have been last week on the podcast. It must have been because it wasn't on for a while before that. But um, Nick mentioned that he was plugging for Fodger to do well. And I said, oh, they're, they're not doing too well at the moment. They're 19th or something. And then we looked at the table and they were five points off seconds. <laughs> where are they now? Relegation playoffs. Space, uh, I think, at the moment. And it, where will one win take them? Up to about ninth or something? Look, with one win, they would go potentially up to potentially up to 10th right the playoffs they could gone. they could meet up they could meet palmer they could go level on points with palmer that's what we want we want Fodgers, venezia and palmer to come up this season just for no reason other than i'd quite... palermo bari there's big clubs there yeah we've had enough of palermo but i've always had a bit of a soft spot for them for the fact that they wear pink i'd like to see bari up that'd be interesting but I don't know, Venezia really appeals to me because of where it is, that stadium, before they move out of there. I know you're not a fan, but you got to go to that stadium before they abandon it. Come on, it's amazing. Vito, we're coming to an end now. Um, but yeah, if, if you're interested in keeping an eye on Serie B, do read Vito's piece. Let us know. Tweet me personally at Conjay Clancy if you like, because I kind of more or less decide what we're talking about. So. Um, I'd like to keep an eye on it for the coming season. So if people want to listen to it, give us a shout. We might even do a bonus podcast on stuff. Um, let us know what you want to hear and we will give it to you, basically. Um, Vito, you wanted to talk about Sampdoria beating Crotone 5-0. Well, the, the good run keeps on continuing. After the loss for Danese, that was the wake-up call of wake-up calls and... You know, two wins in a row, but of course, this game, 5 0. Yes, it was Crotone, but five goals in a game. Uh, Sampdoria showed great domination and fluidity. And once again, this is what I call Gloria style domination of play, technical skill, attacking intent. This is the way Italian football's got to be. And uh, really, uh, this goes to show that. Sampdoria, based on what's been going on this season, they're really in the fight for the European spot. So more performances like this would be most appreciated. And my concern early in the season was they were only scoring just about two goals a game. But if you can score three like last week against Atalanta and now five against Portone, um, 
this is the prolific scoring that we need to see in the league. And also I want to mention Ruben Zapata. Um, he didn't score any goals, but he was involved in two goals. But uh, it has to show, it's not just the tree trunk. Or tall guy, he's actually very mobile and showed some great work ethics. So I think he's another striker that Serie A fans will keep an eye out on. Vito, you're getting a lot of love in the comments here. Jax and Nick are clearly big fans. I, I think that might be going back to when you were an advocate of violence if it was towards people of Genoa. Um, so you can explain that one when you get the chance if you get called on it. Um, do you want to defend yourself? <laughs> advocate of violence? No, 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 no. Uh, the way I say it is defend the honour of the Doria family and always respect the Doria family. So any enemies of the Doria family, you know, they must know their place. And Bonucci, he has no relevance or any, you know, sentiment for Sampdoria or no connection to the club. Uh, let's just say he did he did a good favour, you know. I'm sure <laughs> Doriani deep in their hearts, they would be glad that he hurt some Genoani, you know. It's so just it- like... Uh, if things go really badly for Benucci at Milan and he's on the scrap heap, you'll take him at Samp, I'm, I'm assuming, yeah? Oh, uh, well, if he's willing to take a pay cut, uh, you know, I've got no issues with that. Uh, just as long as if he does anything um, toward, towards a Genoa player, just save it for the last minute and make sure at least two or three goals up. So if we're down to 10, then he won't have to <laughs> I think you've explained yourself better than I could have asked for, Vito. I am Ragnostic. <laughs> we will... Yeah, we've got a bit of time to squeeze in a bit of Italy chat. Luca, Simone Zaza, he's got to be caught up, doesn't he? He's, what has he got, five or eight goals in five games? Vito, was that the stat I sent you? Eight goals in his last five La Liga games. Valencia are second, I believe, in La Liga. And he is probably in the best form of his career. So he should not only be called up for Italy, but probably deserves to start. Luca, I'll bring you in. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I mean, obviously you're waiting to see how Belotti does and Immobile is also in the form of his life. So you'd expect him to start. But that's a, I don't know, I think he got quite a lot of unfair treatment after the Euros, where for the most part he did well. It was just the fact that he did one silly run-off and a penalty against Germany and then that kind of just tarred his name in relation to the national team for so long. But he's gone to Valencia. He's kind of refound himself after doing pretty much nothing in West Ham. But Valencia are doing really well. They're second in La Liga. He's scoring pretty much every week at the moment. He's certainly a player who should be, um, you know, should be getting the call-up. I mean, people always go on about Javinko not getting a call-up. But Javinko plays in MLS, so that's, that's kind of like... A, is fair enough. But Zadzaz doing it in what's probably the best league in the world consistently in a team of a second and he's just shown that he's a really revitalised player. He seems to have found his confidence again and he's, he's showing why he wound up at Juventus and even when he was Juventus he scored a goal he doesn't have to lose the win then the title. He's, he's always been a good player. He's one of the best strikers Italy had. Same with Balotelli. I mean, there's more baggage with Balotelli but that isn't really there with Zaza other than one stupid run-up against Germany. I think just getting back in is a it's a big game. And I think um, I think Ventura probably might find space on the team sheet for him or in the squad list. All right, Vito, you're going to have to sit quiet for a minute because Luca has mentioned a couple of buzzwords there. Sebastian Javinko is one of them. But yeah, first, Simone Zaza has always been a good striker. He was excellent at Sassuolo. Went to Juventus, didn't get much of a look in. When he did play, he popped up with moments like that one against Napoli. Uh, went to West Ham, who are a basket case of a club. Didn't get a minute and he seemed to be ridiculed on the basis of that because it followed that run-up in the Euros. And then he went to Valencia, who were an absolute shambles last year as well. And He did okay. I mean, you can't expect him to be competing for the Ballon d'Or, the Pichichi in La Liga if he's playing for Valencia. But this season, he's, he's doing it. And if he can sustain that, then fantastic because the World Cup's coming up and we need Italian strikers to be in good form. Sebastian Jovinko, all right? He, he shouldn't be anywhere near the Italy squad. He has proven that he's not good enough when he played in Italy. 
he was given enough opportunities. He, he can't do it. He played enough times for Italy and never really impressed. He is tearing it up in MLS now, but I'm going to get a backlash for this if we have American listeners. So but it's MLS. No one really cares. Josie Altador is an excellent striker in MLS. He went 700 games or something in the Premier League without scoring for Sunderland. Um, Josie Altador is a terrible, terrible footballer, and he's doing really well by MLS standards. I was at a Toronto FC game last month, what, three weeks ago now. Um, Javinko wasn't playing, which was devastating because I went just to see him. I, mean, I like Sebastian Javinko as well, but he shouldn't be near the Italian squad. And the quality of football, it, I was at a game three years ago and it was way better than that, but it was still really bad. And I think it was, I don't even remember this, 4-2 to Toronto or something, Josie Altidore labored around and scored a goal and made a mess of a shot and ended up being an assist. But yeah, no, Javinko Ventura should maybe consider him, but if he gets called up ahead, especially ahead of Zaza and Vito, as we discussed Balotelli, I mean, that's just an absolute joke because he's playing in a league that doesn't matter, that isn't competitive. Uh, it's just not a good enough standard for him to then go and compete at international level. Like we see, I know it's, it may be a bit of a jump, but we see, you know, when Celtic traditionally play in the Champions League and they get spanked when they come up against a good team, it's because they're playing a terrible level every week and then they come up against someone like Barcelona and get hit for seven. But yeah, does anyone agree or disagree on Jovinko? Should he be in the Italy squad? Yeah, I'll just quickly touch on uh, Jovinko for a minute. Uh, personally, I don't think he should be in the national team, and it's pretty much for the reasons you pointed out, Connor. Uh, he was at Juve, he thought that Juve, the best form we saw when he was in Italy was at Empoli and Parma. If he was more humble, he should stay at a provincial club, be a big fish in a little pond, and stay in Italy. Um, at least with Chiro Immobile, he's playing at these sort of smaller clubs, so... You know, I think Immobile uh, has made the smart choice to go back to Italy. Don't go for a big club because he didn't make it at Juve either. And he's performing well. Jovinko, he was money hungry. He got, he's getting easy dollars at, at the MLS, scoring easy goals. Uh, so the quality really, I mean, it's not really ideal for international level football, especially a giant like Italy. So... You know, go for Immobile, go for Zaza, go for Balotelli. And I haven't been impressed with Ventura, but I'm sure he won't be that absurd and that stupid to pull up Jovinko. Um, another Missouri issue that is kind of concerning, if it's true, I'm not sure if it is true, but uh, Jorginho apparently might play for Brazil because he hasn't been given a competitive cap by Italy. Is that right? He's played for them, but not competitively which opens up the door for him to go back and represent Brazil. But, Luca, you were quite keen to get some Jorginho discussion, so I'll leave it to you. Yeah, he's been key in an Napoli team that plays some of the best football around, and he's still young. And a lot, large part of Ventura's kind of job with the Azura at the moment is to bring the age of the team down to get this new guy in. And he sort of did it a bit. He's brought in... Some other players, there's quite a lot of players have made their, their their debuts on him. But he's one of the best players around who could do that and fill that remit of being a debutant. And for him to just constantly be left out, it gets a lot of stick. And it is quite understandable. He should be playing. He should, I mean, even like because you have Brazil learning, looking around, just give him a cap, even if it's just to like sod the Brazilians. But they've done that with Brian Cristante. Like Brian Cristante was linked with a Canadian call up. And now he can't play for Canada because he played in a qualifier. So they've managed to tie down Brian Cristante, who presumably won't play again. But Jorginho is sort of like one of these kind of exceptional talents, and they keep sort of dillying dallying around. I don't know. I don't, I don't understand it. I mean, obviously, now you have um, these two players with Sweden coming up. So that's not really the, the ideal occasion. You can't give him just five minutes or whatever to, to tie him down according to the, the FIFA regulations, but he's a good player and he, he's surely going to be in that team sooner or later. So I just, I just don't get why they, they keep 
um, waiting, leaving the door open to Brazil. No, I completely agree. I'm not going to go in on that because I'll end up screaming. I'm still trying to calm down after talking about Sebastian Javinko and Italy in the same breath. But we did get a question on Italy, so it's only right to do this. I did tell the guy we'd ask it. This is from Dan1901 on Twitter, and he asks, is there any possibility that Italy get past Sweden and then go on to replace Ventura? Um, he thinks that it's it could only happen if Italy gets spanked in friendlies or something. But I don't know. What do you make of it? Luca, do you want to take this first and then I'll give it to Vito? Can't see it happening at all, to be honest. They they gave him a new contract ahead of the Spain qualifier. I don't know how much they'd have to pay to get rid of him, but I think all the all the voices coming out of the FIGC leadership are quite a lot of Ventura. They'll stick with him. Italy, obviously, if they don't get through, it's a different question, but if they, they do get through, that, that's dropped on. Italy never tend to really be particularly exciting, especially when it doesn't... Uh, you know, in qualifying and friendlies, that's never been their forte. They, they do it in the games that matter against the best teams. So I, I don't really see how anything can change ahead of the World Cup, barring Italy not going to the World Cup. Agreed. Vito, anything to disagree with or take Luke off? Assuming that Italy does qualify for the World Cup, the only way I can see Ventura getting sacked is just the. As the gentleman who asked the question is if he gets uh, humiliated in friendlies. Italy aren't the team that take friendlies seriously, but Italy, they don't get thrashed in them either. So I remember before Euro 2016, Germany did beat the Azzurri 4-1, but in a way it's expected because Italy don't give their all in the friendlies. And also Germany's a strong team too, so I don't think the... Uh, Federation would have been too disheartened by that result. So um, I can't picture Italy losing 5-0 or 6-0 in a huge bunch of friendlies. So I think, assuming the Azzurri qualified, Ventura will be coaching at the tournament. I, I cannot see him being replaced at the last minute because it's not something Italy does, to be honest, even if you look through the history. Yeah, I'm, in, I'm inclined to agree with that. But even still, if Italy got spanked 8-0 and 9-0 in the friendlies or whatever, I still can't see them getting rid of them because, like you said, they don't take friendly seriously. So then the argument will be, we didn't take the friendly seriously anyway. It doesn't really matter. But I, I'm willing to stick with them and give them a little bit more time because I, Vito, we spoke about him a lot. I, I was quite happy with the work he was doing for the most part when he came in for yearly qualifiers he was giving new people a chance and all that and it was just that Spain game where to play with two in midfield against Spain was jaw-droppingly stupid and you could see before that game started that they were just going to get absolutely overrun Luca's laughing we both discussed this um Luca doesn't think Italy were that bad against Spain but I don't know I, I just thought it was dreadful tactically more so than individual performances but, yeah, I, I think Ventura is there for a while. The players have apparently asked to go back to Conte's system, which will be interesting to see. Um, it would improve things, I'm sure. And, I don't know, guys, anyone else with some final comments because I've just noticed how long we've been going on for, so we're going to wrap this up. The only thing I'd say about Zach is when it comes to facing Spain, in my opinion, there should be a unwritten law that Italy's got to use a back three against the Furia Roja because in recent years it's when Italy's used a back three that it's worked. It's easy to say that it's suit Bazzelli, Bonucci and Chiellini but Italy has looked more competitive in that formation against the Spaniards than opposed to a back four so that was just ridiculous and Ventura he loves his 4-2-4 but Italy hasn't got the central midfielders for that formation and Parol was a solid club player, but I've never been impressed with him with the Nazionale. So in midfield, there's just got to be more creativity. Even if Jorginho does play for his home country, Brazil, uh, we've got to rely on more than just workhorses in the Nazionale. Italy's got to allow the creativity to flourish. And, okay, you need midfielders that have that stamina and energy, but 
do prioritise to technically give the players a bit more because they're the ones that are going to produce the fluidity and keep the play going. I mean, you can't just have ball winners in midfield and not just Ventura, but Italian coaches in general. they just got to learn from that and accept the reality. Yeah, um, I think the three at the back thing is suited not only to the players they have now, but the players that will be there in two years. Matteo Caldara plays in a back three every week with Atalanta and he's fantastic. Um, who Rugani is used to it from whenever he played there with Juve. I know they don't always do that now. If you're looking at the wing backs, then Andrea Conti is surely going to be the right wing back for the years coming. He plays as a right wing back. Go on. No, I was saying definitely, I agree. Yeah, yeah Conti, Leonardo Spinazzola. Exactly. They played at Atalanta. So, yeah, a 3 5 2 or 3 4 3 definitely suits the youngsters coming through. Yeah, so no arguments, really. If he, if he doesn't go with a 3 5 2 or something similar, three, I don't know, in the next game, well, then I'll sharpen my knives and pitchforks and I'm coming for him as well, guys. Uh, he can join Javinko in that queue. Uh, you know, me and you can show up at Ventura's door. I'm sure he'll just tell us to piss off, probably. But, all right, Vito, tell people where they can find you and read your stuff and all of that, because we're done. Okay. Yep. Follow my fan page at Vito Doria. Um, go on to Twitter. My handle's at Vito C. Doria. So, yeah, check me out on social media. And, of course, what's it on? Football.com. That's where my articles are, and keep watching the podcasts. Luca, where are you? You've done a neck job. You forgot to under. Uh, sorry. sorry, just head's gone now. Getting complacent towards the end. <laughs> at Gumby's own on Twitter. There we go. I'm at Conjay Clancy on Twitter and Instagram, and then I have a Facebook page. Just look up my name and you'll find it. We are on Twitter at Serie A FFC. We are on Facebook at Forza Italian Football. Um, Patreon, if you like what we do, head over there, give us a dollar or two a month. We will love you for it. And yeah, like I said, I'm really interested in giving people exactly what they want us to talk about, really. So do get in touch with me on Twitter. Uh, message us on Twitter, whatever, and let us know what stuff you want us to talk more about, what stuff you want us to talk less about. Um, and then ideas for like bonus content in the week with the extra podcasts you've seen Dov doing things. Let us know if there are specific topics that you want covered and we will do it. Um, thank you to Jax, Stephen, everyone else in the comments. A few people popped up there. Nick, thanks for being my stats man. And yeah, we'll be back again next week. So maybe after the midweek round, we'll, we'll see what we can do there, I promise. So other than that, there's nothing for me to say other than ciao for now.
quando fischia l'inizio ed inizia quel sogno che When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.